This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. The following is a message from the Legal Eagles Network. Are you eligible for a monthly Social Security disability check? Did you know you've been paying for it your entire life out of every paycheck? You could be eligible for up to $3,000 a month. Here's managing partner Sam Pond. And I would suggest that the vast majority, not 100%, but pretty damn close, of all those members that are retiring from one of the building trades or another union, that they're eligible for a Social Security disability check when they retire at 50, 53, 55, 58, 60, even into their mid 60s or in the early 60s, and that that could pay them $36,000 per year. Let Pond Lee Hockey help you find the answers to this question. Are you eligible for Social Security Disability? You have nothing to lose except what you're entitled to receive. Go to PondLeeHockey.com. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. An Odyssey Station. The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. If we don't move in our own direction, we're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause as we come to you on a Saturday night, hour one of the two-hour Labor Show, leading you right into Penn State football. Big Ten matchup tonight with Indiana right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. J. Uh, J. Doc, we get started. An hour early today and a good hour in front of us. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. We've got a fantastic broadcast. Um, it's, it's a pleasure uh, to have with us in our first hour, obviously, our co-host, Sam Pond. Sam, good to see you. Good seeing you, Joe. It's always a pleasure. And, of course, our guest is uh, actually uh, new to the broadcast, and, and certainly I'm ecstatic to have him on the broadcast, Billy Hamilton, who's the international vice president of Teamsters, who's also the president and business agent of Teamsters Local 107. Billy, how are you? I'm doing well, and I appreciate you having me on tonight, Joe. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, certainly, we have a, a, a lot to talk about. Uh, and, and, and somehow, Joe Krause, Penn State football moved us. Why aren't we moving them? That's we've tried that conversation, j Doc, <laughs> and we've lost that conversation. We keep losing it. <laughs> you know, and plus, they're having a good season, thank God. Um, if you will, Billy, talk about your members. Who do you represent? Uh, obviously, the Teamsters Union is a massive union across the United States, very diverse union. Uh, talk about your members. Well, our members, as you said, Joe, we're very diverse. In Pennsylvania, we have over 96,000 members of Pennsylvania Conference, which I'm also the president. And we've got everybody from crossing guards to bus drivers, school bus drivers, to truck drivers, UPS drivers, um, teachers. We have principals in our, in, our, in our union. In fact, we're in the middle of a city contract now over local 502 and the principals, which were a little bit of an impasse, but I think we'll get there. What I think is amazing, Sam, we talk about you know, collective bargaining and how many, how many uh, collective bargaining agreements? I can't even imagine how many collective bargaining agreements uh, that, 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 uh, that the uh, local has. Well, in our local alone, we have over 200. 
just in one local, and it's a 3,600-member local. Um, so we have 200. We have construction companies at two and three people. So it's uh, we're we're all over the place with membership. And most of the locals I was at in Harrisburg, a local 776, this past week, and uh, my gosh, they've got they've got nurses and they've got every kind of facility you could ever think. They have the prison guards, um, and uh, there's a lot of trouble in some of those places too because obviously COVID and there's a shortage of people working and you know overcrowded so it's we've we've got uh, really a cross-section of America working in the Teamsters 1.4 million members yeah we're the largest independent union in the world but Sam you were talking about and, and, and Billy mentioned that um, right now there is a shortage of workers and uh, we know that the, that the pandemic unemployment was a factor a while ago but uh, you were even, you were talking about a little while ago. It's 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 difficult for everybody, even right now. Yeah, it's even difficult for our firm. But I think that we hopefully we're going to get back to work. And just before we started the program, you know, I was asking Billy what he thinks is the cause, and it's it's tough to determine what the cause is in regard to the shortage of workers. You know, I think there was an extension of the unemployment. Uh, I think the world is changing. Um, people are being, you know, having this whole idea they can work remote, they can work anywhere. I think we have to shake it out. We have to go through it. It's been a real shock to the economy. It's been a real shock to the way we live. Uh, and we're just going to have to play it out. But I think we also have to go back and say, you know, we always say the great equalizer as far as making sure that America has a democracy that is a real democracy that's strong, and that is built on a strong middle class. And you really don't have a strong middle class unless you have the ability to collectively bargain. And we that, that basic fundamental ideal has to continue to move forward. We'll see how that develops as we go. Uh, you know, I, I, even with some of the tr- truck driving and those type of things, our container ships are backed up. Uh, I think we're going to, you know, well, we're going to be in a new world. We have to understand that change happens. But this shows about labor. This shows about people that are, are working in and trying to have not only a decent wage, but have a hope and a future in regard to benefits, in regard to pensions, um, in regard to health benefits. Uh, that's the nature of our our country that we have to continue to do. And the work ethic comes into that. And Billy was also mentioning before the, the show about training. We don't have the that level of maybe vocational development that we've had when we were growing up. You know, not very rare when I was growing up in a Philadelphia neighborhood. You know, most people wanted to a union job. The, the outlier was someone that went to college. In fact, I didn't know... In my neighborhood, and probably all of us, I didn't know anyone's father that went to college. My father worked at the Gas Works 686, and they actually put him through Drexel, but he didn't start there. So we, I think we have to start understanding what's training, what do we need, provide great training, and the unions provide great training. They, they provide how do you do the job correctly, whether it's an apprentice program or a more formal training program. So we'll see how this develops, but it's a big issue. And we have to have dialogue, I think, politically that's commonsensical, that's honest, um, that is, you know, we, we, I think we've gotten in, 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 in our way a little bit with some of the political correctness and these other things that are going on that don't allow us to have honest conversations about issues. We talk about unions. Unions are very diverse, colorblind, creed blind. 
you know, we're, we're, we're here to get the best possible workers work, get a decent wage, collectively bargain, um, and, you know, live the American dream. Uh, we'll see how this goes. I think we're going to be fine, but things are changing and we have to embrace the change. Uh, Bill, we talk, we have a new administration in Washington. And for the first time, and Kraus, uh, Joe Krause and I have talked about it, and so, and so is Sam and I, and, and it, the word union is no longer a bad word. We finally have, a, uh, you know, a, a voice box in, in, in uh, you know, in, in Washington, D.C. that is proud to be pro-union. Um, at, you know, our uh, National Labor Relations Board, the, you know, there are changes that cr- there are lots of good things happening for us. Talk about that and the sentiment um, uh, that is that now exists not only in Washington, of course, how good that is, but also that, you know, the, the word on the street is pro-union. Well, that, that's our biggest challenge right now is convincing people that Joe Biden is a good thing for labor unions. And not only did he start off on the right foot, he started out hitting home runs with us, with labor, organized sure. labor. And we, we actually fought for years, years under the previous administrations, including Obama, um, to try to get some pension relief act going and we've we've fought and we battled our central states pension fund was in distress it was our new york pension funds teamster funds were underwater they had to cut pensions 15 1700 hours a month existing retirees lost that benefit in the middle of their golden years they couldn't live they had to go back to work some of them um and immediately upon seizing office his first agenda was to fix the pensions in america most people outside of labor unions don't understand how the pension system works. They know what Social Security is. They don't know what a defined benefit is. They don't know that employers are paying in as a negotiated wage into that benefit, that employees are giving up that 6 and $7 an hour in wages to attain that pension. Most people in America that don't work within a labor union don't understand that. They think it's just a giveaway to the unions, and it's not. It's something these people have earned. It's something that they fought very hard to get over 40 years. And now that they're there, they needed to have it guaranteed. You know, we bail out Wall Street. We can't bail out our working people. And our biggest challenge, Joe, is that we have to talk to our own members politically. Yeah. They're so disenfranchised with reality. It's it's really, it's frightening. It's shocking, right. Uh, I mean, I go out to central Pennsylvania, and um, they, 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 they don't even know that they're against Biden. They don't know why. Um, when you explain to them, you're voting your job. That, I mean, you, you say, I say this. We've had this conversation a lot. Um, you, well, when, when, I... I I don't mean to interrupt you, and I'll I'll let you go. But this is a really important issue about economics versus social issues. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So, so for example, uh, we, we Billy, we talked about it when I came in. Talk about politics, um, how important it is for union members to understand the issues and who they're voting for. You also have to remember you're voting for the Supreme Court, okay? And so, when that narrative got changed four years ago, people. Oh, I like this guy. He mentioned NAFTA and all those things. But immediately, um, the legislation started piling up, uh, you know, against us. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you have to understand uh, what the impact is of your vote. And that's one of the things that, you know, that we, you know, we've talked about many, many times. So as long as you don't mind not working, like Sam said, 
okay? As long as you don't mind not working and, you know, you don't go, you know, you, you, you go the way we did it with the iron workers, we have a day room. So we're all right there waiting for the jobs to get called out. Um, if you like sitting in the day room, then by all means, vote against your own, you know, your own financial interests. But then don't cry when there's no work. Then you call the business manager, what's going on? I'm not, I'm not working. Who'd you vote for? Well, I, I think I've seen in my own office, because I represent union men and women from all different unions, and I think what we were seeing to a certain degree, especially when we go out in the middle of the state and we go in the western part of the state and our offices in the northeast part of the state, we're seeing this the, the social aspect of things really starting overriding with the union folks that are, that are pushing back and saying... Some of these social issues that are happening are very emotional to them. You know, whether it's guns or whether it's cancel culture, whatever else is happening, they've got an emotional reaction to it and they forget about what is the consequence of that economically. You know, I, the, the conversation that we might want to continue on, and I like to comment on coming back after the break, is that the fine pension plan. I think that people do not understand, and Billy makes a great point about bailing it out and bailing out Wall Street, too big to fail. It's like, you, you're not taking risks with your capital, but working men and women are taking a risk with their ability to collectively bargain and de- de- designate a certain hourly amount to the pension so that they can live in those golden years, and then we let these things collapse without any kind of assistance, and we just leave people abandoned, literally abandoned in regard to their economic position, which they worked their entire life for. This is what they worked for. This is what they gave up, putting in the envelope, putting a dollar amount so that they had a defined pension plan, which was basically pretty common when we were growing up. Now, it's a rarity. This is The Labor Show as we come to you on a Saturday night. Teamsters Local 107 Spotlight Show. Billy Hamilton is with us, our special guest uh, for the full hour, along with Jay Doc, and, of course, a gentleman that I describe as the most powerful attorney in the country. Sam Pond, back in a moment. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by IBEW Local 98 North, UFCW 1776, and Sheet Metal Workers Local 19. Today's program has been pre-recorded. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll veto it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. And back here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, this is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause, hour number one of the two-hour show. Top of the hour, John Doherty will join us, and we lead everybody right into Penn State football, J. Doc. Yeah, uh, we're, we're having a conversation uh, with Billy Hamilton, and um, we're talking, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about the defined pension funds, we're talking a little politics. Um, in your neck of the woods, Billy, you have uh, a national election coming up. Talk about that. Well, it's, it's really a transition year in the Teamsters because um, it's, it's really almost millennial because Mr. Hoff is retiring. And, and certainly um, he's done a lot to build the Teamsters and his legacy. But unfortunately in this business, you don't get to continue on as a kingmaker. So um, there's been different factions that have arisen in our union and... Um, uh, I'm involved in running with a young man from Boston that I believe is the future of the Teamsters. He's got the energy, he's got the desire, and he's got the smarts, and he runs a big labor union in Boston, Sean O'Brien. And uh, I believe that um, uh, the people that are 
being asked to fill the void by Mr. Hoffa are, are just, um, you know, average, everyday business agents. They don't have the leadership qualities that I see in this guy. Now, uh, Mr. Hoffa served us well for a long time, and uh, we wish him well. But uh, we've got a serious problem in the International Brotherhood of Teamsters with people voting. This has reached a critical stage. Last election, five years ago, in a mail-in ballot agenda, 16.8% of the people voted in a national election for the Teamsters. That's a scary number. You can't get 20% of the people to vote and return a ballot for or against. I'm not campaigning for me right now. I'm campaigning for the people getting out to vote. It's dangerous. It sends a bad message. When I go to Harrisburg and try to lobby the governor for a bill, pro-labor bill, we lobby in Congress in Washington for pro-labor bills, and we use the mantra of, we've got 1.4 million members. I got 100,000 people in Pennsylvania that are going to vote against us if you don't do something for labor. And then when we turn out 17% and you hold that yeah, that doesn't have the impact. That canister that's almost empty in front of them, and they go, geez, you don't even vote in your own election. How are you going to influence my election when only 16.8% of your members voted in your own election last time? That's a scary number. We have to educate our members to get out and vote, regardless of who they want to vote for. They need to participate in an election because it sends a bad message to our politicians. It sends a bad message to management, to corporations. The UPSs of the world, the biggest transportation company in America, they, they look at that and they got 400,000 members. How many people are going to vote on our contract? Let's offer them less. It, 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 has, it has cost effect problems when they don't vote in an election because we can't get everything we want out of a contract if they know they're voting, not voting in an what, election. What, what's, what's the A union that size, the size of the Teamsters? What, how do you communicate with them? What's the best way to communicate? Because, I mean, that's literally, you know, you, you talk to unions that are, have 500 members in it, right? And, you know, they'll say, well, we can't send a mailer out for everything. Well, when you have 100,000 members in your state, what, you know, how do, how, do you, how do you relay the message and get the word out to that many people and get them engaged? Because that's got to be a, a, you know, a, a challenge. Well, yeah, and I believe it starts at the international level, and we have to do a better job at the international of engaging our members, which we haven't. You can't mail them a magazine every month and expect them to read a magazine. They're just not going to do it. They get enough junk mail, and, and they don't read half the stuff they get now, especially since the pandemic started. You're inundated with stuff every single day. Sure. We have to get one-on-one -on -one meetings. We have to go to their garages where they work. We need to engage the workers more. And we need to get out there and let them know that their vote counts. They don't think, and especially these young people coming in our industries today, they don't know how unions were built, a lot of them. They come into a job, they're making great money. They don't know how you got the $32 an hour. They didn't realize oh, that you started out exactly. at 8 bucks an hour. 100%. A, you know, a lot, of, a lot of young people think they were born on third base. I mean, I, you know, I'm talking about, you know, they get in the union movement, have no idea how... You know, they, you know that we got where we're at today, and the struggles that have 
that have happened across the board. Um, one of the things with the apprenticeship programs that the building trades have, we've talked about more often is because they spend four years in it. Yes. You know, and they get, you know, really they get inundated with the message. You know, unionism is, is almost a, you know, it's, 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 it's a course. Um, and it's a challenge when, you know, when that, you don't have that, the grip on individuals to educate them at that point. Um, but you make a great point and, you know, it's, and, and, and kind of a, understanding the issues. By the way, you mentioned, you know, your candidate, Boston is a hotbed for union leadership, man. I think we know that Marty Walsh, Marty Walsh. Uh, you know, I mean, come on, uh, you know, certainly uh, whatever's going on there, whatever water they're drinking, you know, I want to be drinking that water, uh, especially with the, with the, with the labor movement. When is the election? Uh, the election is actually uh, next week. The ballots get mailed and they're counted on November 16th. Wow. So it's quick. Yeah, it's coming up quick. Uh, but it's been a long, hard fight. But again, I, getting back to that other point, I want to emphasize that we have to mandate our local unions. We don't have a lot of apprenticeship programs in the Teamsters. Right. We just don't because it's... It's not that it's, kind of trade. It's marginalized and when it comes to different areas, and it's hard to uh, make companies train people. But now they're finding out that they're going to need to do that because there's a shortage of drivers in this country. They yeah. can't even get bus drivers for these school buses. But we have to go and make sure each local union engages their new members. That's got to be a constitutional thing we change within, that every local union, when a new member comes in, you have to orientate the yeah. new members and tell them what they're getting, explain what they're getting. I walk in the shops out in, out in the Netherlands and Western Pennsylvania, and they don't even know what their benefits are, some of them. So it's frustrating, but it's our fault. We need to do a better job of educating our members, and that's where we're failing. And that's why I think we're failing even to get the political message out sometimes to our members that we need to get out because they don't realize what people are doing for them. And it starts when they're young. The it also starts at the top, I think, as well. I mean, I think it's yeah. about the energy of leadership that generally is, you know, uh, the, to, to bring in that enthusiasm, bring in that messaging, rally up the troop, inspire people, and have them aspire to having, you know, make, let's make our, our unions better. I think that one of your challenges probably is if you're so diverse as well, yeah. which is, is, you know, makes things difficult. But you're right. If you have... You said something really interesting about you know future leadership and, and all the qualities of that. I think I think leadership is so underrated. But it, it, we, we're we're all big sports fans. But we understand when we have a really good coach, makes a difference. Sure, makes sure a difference. And they're they're perennial winners because of their demanding of making a difference and making it better and constantly constantly being on the job to bring the team to another level. And that, that, takes, that takes leadership, that takes accountability, that takes energy, that takes vision, um, that takes coaching. And when I say coaching, I mean t telling people to, be, to, be, to learn how to do things. Whether you say business managers, hold them accountable. Get the shoe leather, get out there, communicate. You know, these are the kind of things that really need in the rank and file, have to be able to look up to leadership and say, hey, I'm motivated. I'm passionate about the union movement. I'm going to get more involved. This is not acceptable. We're, we're getting marginalized and those type of things. And I'm not saying anything about any, any leadership in any unions. I just think it's really difficult if, if I, looking at the leadership of what you need to do in regard to such a, a, a national diverse union makes things tough. But, you know, uh, the next generation, the next successor is very important. And you got a lot on, you got a lot on the plate in November. Well, that's a great point. I mean, you know, you, you get, you know, you're, you're 
bring your, your leadership. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're educating young people to be the next Billy Hamilton. And that, that is such a, uh, I think it's one of the most important things that a union can do is, 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 is educate and, and, and obviously vote and keep people involved so that you do have a quality pool of individuals that can run and, and someday, you know, I mean, steer the ship in a direction that is, is forward, not backwards or stagnant. Um, one of the things you can do at that point also is organize. I know you guys have done an incredible job and that's a, a priority with the pro, with the pro act and all those things going on. Um, uh, talk about the priority to organize. Well, n- number one, we, we need to bring the pro act to the table. We need to get that done. Um, that's the biggest impediment we have to organizing right now. The PRO Act is, is, the, is the answer to future organizing. It levels the playing field. It, it, you go in now and try to organize an Amazon, as you oh, just witnessed. They intimidate and they... And, and the, the, the problem with Amazon is, and we just initiated a national campaign for Amazon. The Teamsters. Um, and our plan, O'Brien's plan, my plan, is to attack Amazon on a regional basis. You don't need to organize the whole country at the same time. It's going to be a 10-year fight, minimum, okay? You need to go into northeastern states and start there in, in industrialized union, union mentality areas where you can actually win an election and create an impact on Amazon. So if you win an election in Boston, Philadelphia, and New York, um, and control some of these areas, the company's going to have to sit down and negotiate seriously. Because under the PRO Act, like it gives us different tools and weapons to use against an Amazon. And let's be honest, Amazon's the biggest threat to unionization that we'll face in our lifetime, sure. maybe in the next century. Sure, They're just so big, and they're growing so fast, and they've taken over industries. Right. It's a disgrace, really, at what they're doing. Like, for example... Um, you know, we, Joe, you and I have had a number of shows uh, on this issue, but um, they have robots there. If, if first of all, you're on it, you have a schedule. Your schedule can get changed in the middle of the night based on an app. They have a robot. If you go to the men's or ladies' room and you come, and, and that ladies' room or men's room is 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 somebody's in there, and you have to go down and you get docked your pay because you didn't get back fast enough. Um, there are so many things that are absolutely ridiculous about that. And yet they lost the vote. You know, well, they, they, but it goes back to Billy's point where, where they tried it. You yeah. Know, you, you know, you've, well, you've, well, the intimidation factor that is going on there. I mean, the tactics that they use, uh, that you're forced to go to anti-union meetings. You prob- they probably did the vote at Amazon right next to the boss's office. Oh, it, so becomes, many things. it becomes a, a, a demagoguery. It becomes a totalitarian state. It becomes a, a place for fear. You yeah, know? Oh, exactly. And that's, you know, that's when you have those type of things, you need, you need some courageous leadership to come in. It's, it's easier said than done. Well, the pro act is what's going to put that on the map. Right. Though. Like, in other words, they're not allowed. There's a number right. of things they're not allowed to do. Right. And that's, as Billy said, that's, that's, a, you need those tools to, to fight back. One of the things we're going to talk about in the, in, in the second hour in the John Doherty hour is what's going on with Gopuff. Um, that's a big organizing effort. I'm sure you're uh, familiar with. Ironically, the two guys that opened that work for me at my nightclub. They did the hookahs there. Oh. I said to my, they literally did. And I can tell you this. I said to my general manager, you know, just the other day, he hit me up and he said, 8.9 bill would it be? And I said, I wish I had treated them nicer because right now I'd have an open dialogue and I'd be able to go there and say, gentlemen, 
Now you got that, you know, you're valued at 8.9 billion. It seems to me what's ridiculous about this whole thing is it's when you get, once they hit the billion with a beast, that's when the real greed hits. You would think that, you know, you got a couple billion dollars in the bank. You know what? Why don't we, you know, give, treat people fairly and do that? Evidently, that, that's not. Well, like, I guess we'll never really get to experience we that, whether it's true or not. <laughs> Joe Krause, I'm looking at him. He's over there. Saying, I just want to experience the break, j Doc. <laughs> we'll take a commercial break. This is The Labor Show on Talk Radio 1210, WPHD. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, and Steam Fitters Local 420. Today's program has been pre-recorded. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. And back here on The Labor Show as we come to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. A little bit of an early start for The Labor Show tonight. We lead you or take you right up to 7 o'clock and lead you into Penn State football. Big Ten matchup tonight. You'll hear it all on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Yeah, Joe, a fantastic show tonight. Sam Ponis, our co-host. Um, Billy Hamilton, International Vice President, Teamsters Union, also President of Local 107 here in the Philadelphia area. Um, one of the things you talk about, the American dream. With, with, with unions and, and, and retiring, having the opportunity to retire uh, with dignity. Sam, you and I have talked about it many times um, and how uh, people who are not in unions don't understand, you know, and, and, and they don't understand how um, the benefits of the union and, and why everybody working together and collectively bargain um, allows for that opportunity and that cause. Um, we have, have, have put together what we, it's a, an initiative called uh, No Retiree Left Behind. And to me, it's an in- initiative that um, I think can be a model for all workplaces, but we're lucky in, in labor to have the opportunity to be able to, to take advantage of the programs. Talk about that, Sam, and what we're trying to do with uh, the Social Security uh, Disability Initiative when retirees retire so they don't miss the boat and they have the opportunity often to retire with dignity. Yeah, well, I think when people are thinking of retiring, especially union members that have had a decent wage and they have hopefully a a pension either through the building trades or the Teamsters is with different uh, employers, that one of the checklists when they they think about retiring, if they're 58 or 55 or 60 or whatever the age may be, that they step back and say, well, what do I have in regard to Social Security? What is the Social Security system? Uh, how's that play into my thinking and whether or not I should retire? And what am I going to have in regard to a monthly check? What am I going to have in regard to medical care? And, and it's, again, it goes back to just understanding the law. I think that we, we really need... And this is something that really has to start as a civics course in high school. When Billy talks about politics and educating the members, and you talk about the Supreme Court and what you get for your vote, you know, you get, you get your, your voting, and you're electing someone that hopefully is aligned with how you think you want legislation passed. But getting back to, getting back to um, the Social Security, people ought to be told in high school, when you have your first job, there's going to be 6.2% of a FICA tax taken out of every check. And we travel all around the country, and we sit there, and we, we talk to unions, and we talk to other groups, and we say, who knows what you're buying for 6.2% out of every check? To me, that would seem to be quite a bit of money coming out of every check. Where's it going? Is someone stealing it? What am I buying? 
Well, that 6.2% is going to to Social Security Administration. In your name, Joe Doc's name, under your Social Security number, you become a trust baby of the federal government. That money is held in trust with the full faith and credit of the federal government under the Social Security Administration's bylaws to protect you and the 6.2% that you've paid over those many decades. And you bought three things. Most people know they bought a retirement plan. When they get to the age of retirement, whether it's 66 and a half or 70 or whatever they choose, they then get a Social Security retirement check. The second thing they bought is a medical plan. The medical plan's a pretty good medical plan. It's called Medicare. You automatically become eligible for that at 65. And the third thing that you buy for 1.6 of that is if you would have paid for a premium through Zurich Insurance or Travelers, you bought a disability plan through the federal government. And that's called Social Security Disability. You have to meet the requirements of it. But anyone that's disabled, no matter what their age, would, could possibly be entitled to Social Security Disability. If you're thinking about retiring and you're 55 years of age and you've had a job where you drove a truck, you're more than likely to meet the requirements at 55 to get Social Security Disability if you're thinking about not going back to work. You have a bad shoulder. You have a bad knee. You have diabetes. You may have had a bout with cancer. You, you, whatever your issue is, any kind of physical, mental, or emotional issue is considered for your application for Social Security. So let's say I'm a, tr- I'm a truck driver, and I'm working at UPS, and I'm 55. And by the way, these things come into play when we handle a worker's compensation case because we have to look at all the benefits that someone's earned, a pension, a worker's compensation benefit, a Social Security disability benefit. But let's just say I'm working, I'm a, I'm a union Teamster, I'm at, I'm at UPS, and I have 35 years, and it's 55, and I'm pretty beat up, and I think I'm going to enjoy some time with my wife. We're going to go into our shore house and you know, enjoy our grandkids and do whatever. Well, I may not be able to make, make it or have the quality of life if I retire just on my pension, but if I got Social Security disability, I'm probably going to get close to $3,000 a month for Social Security Disability, because I'm probably going to make the, meet the requirements. I just can't hump it for 40 hours driving that truck anymore. And I'm going to meet the requirements. So in addition to getting my pension, I'm also going to get a Social Security Disability check of up maybe up to $30,000 a year. Now think about that. I can get that, that check for $30,000 a year and not take early retirement at 62 and be penalized for the rest of my life, but carry my Social Security Disability check to my full retirement of 66, 67, or whatever it may be based on my date of birth. And after two years, when I'm 57, I'll become Medicare eligible. And when we collectively bargain, maybe if we have every one of our members go and apply for Social Security Disability because they've paid for the Medicare, they've, they've paid for that. They've you don't paid have to be catastrophically it. injured. You then say, instead of taking the pension or the, the medical that I got, that I collectively bargained for, Medicare becomes primary. That's a big deal because if we talk to the building trades, we understand that that is not going to drain their health and welfare fund for a 57-year-old. They're then going to use Medicare as their primary. That's a big deal. This is not a handout. This is your money. You know, before Social Security came into being um, fully into the 50s, but obviously under FDR, 82% of our elderly had no medical, and consequently, over 50% of them lived in poverty because they didn't have medical. 
They had no access to any kind of medical care. They had no medical plan. And whatever they had to do was to pay out in cash. We have, we have a great social program that is funded by citizens and matched by employers that really works, that really makes a difference. And when you combine that in as a checklist, when you think about retiring, it's a, it's a game changer. You know, my father's union, 686, the gas workers, we went up to Considers one did a lunch for 500 retirees. And we signed up about 70 of them at that luncheon, after the luncheon. Went back a year later, and I don't know how many hugs and kisses I got in regard to saying, well, now you've changed it because now I can take a vacation. Now I could buy the Jersey Shore house. You know, I could take my wife out to dinner once a week. It was a game changer, but they didn't know. Well, it's interesting. They didn't know how to so I had the knowledge. opposite experience at, at, at the Iron Workers Union when I took um, Tom Giordano over. And I had known about this. This is why we put this with our, with our nonprofit, this initiative together. Um, and, and listeners should, should take note. Um, so I took, so Tom was over, he was doing a, sort of a seminar. And I, I was waiting because we had all the retirees there. And you know how retirees are. They have no filter, right? And it was, and I'm like, here, come, here it comes, right? He mentioned that. If you like wait, J-Doc, no if filter you, at all. If, <laughs> if you wait five years, you miss out, miss the boat. And I saw the guys and... One of the things that is interesting is you don't have to be catastrophically injured. You don't have to be in a wheelchair. You don't have to lose a limb. But if you're a teamster or an iron worker for that long and you're, you're bent over, I mean, I know a lot of guys that were six well, foot tall that are now five eight because they spent a long time in the trade and, and they, could, they can't do what they can't do. So what we try to do with, with our retirees, no, no, no retiree left behind um, initiative is just make sure people are educated and make sure that when they retire, that we make sure that they go through the proper protocol so they don't end up missing out on something that they, that they deserve. It's something that I am, am, am heavily focused on. Talk about your retirees and, and what that process is like when you make it, uh, uh, when, when somebody makes the decision to retire, Bill. Well, I, I think Sam hit, hit right on the head too because our retirees rely on their pension funds. But, you know, without health care, the pension fund is only so powerful and only goes so far. So if you're collecting a $4,000 or a $5,000 a month pension, it sounds like a lot of money until you have to go purchase some kind of a health care insurance subsidy because you can't afford it. So our health care probably costs the employer $1,800 to $2,000 a month for full for coverage. Course. So that retiree, when he retires, is looking at a substantial bill to maintain any kind of health care coverage. And if, and if there's information out there on alternatives and Social Security disability, that's a home run to retirees. And, and, and you'd be surprised, Sam's right, how many of our, our members would be eligible for it that don't even know it? Yeah. Well, it was one of the most painful things I'd ever seen when I, because I had been educated on it and we did the, we did the seminar and there were so many people. We just want to make sure to retire. Yeah, but it's important. I think it's important for your listeners. And you make a good point because it's important for, for people listening that if they've retired in the last five years and they didn't have that, that checklist mindset. And a lot of locals now have that as a checklist. So when you go to the, you go to the fund administrator and say, I'm going to retire, they say, okay, are you can consider applying for social security disability if you're not going to go and transition to work with your brother-in-law doing something or whatever the case may be go ahead and see if you're eligible for social security disability that's a, that's a checklist
but your point is well taken in regard to people that have retired in the last five years. And we know, and we've seen so many of them because it goes back to the luncheon discussion at the Guestworks, is that if we have someone that's been retired for four years, we can go ahead and apply. And they have four years of Social Security disability retroactive coming to them, and then a check going forward. But they have to do it within five years of retiring, otherwise they're time barred. So, again, these are basic things that, and Joe can tell you that my wife sometimes when I come back from some meetings, like, what's wrong with you? Did you just go talk about Social Security again? I said, yeah, because no one knows about it. You know, and it's, and it's, it's frustrating because it's their money. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Ironworkers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Come back here on The Labor Show as we come to you on a Saturday night. Our final segment, J.Dot, Fast and Furious. Great information from Sam Pond in the last segment. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, certainly, you know, we want to educate. We want to make sure our retirees understand that. You yeah, listen, we work in this business. We want to, you know, we want to train young people to, to have, like Sam always says, uh, the, the American dream and, 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 and to be able to uh, lead a good middle class uh, life and all those things. But at the same time, um, you want to be able to retire with dignity. Um, having said that, um, one of the things we do uh, on the show, Billy, is, is uh, you know, as labor leaders, you know, uh, one thing that Joe Krause and I, you know, realized when we started the, the broadcast eight years ago was um, that uh, we do so many good things, but we, we, we are terrible at promoting them. Like, I mean, giving back. And I know that you, a big priority of, of what you do is, you know, is, is community-based and, and giving back and, and charitable endeavors. Talk about that, the commitment uh, that, that you and, and, and the Teamsters and Labor has um, in, in a charitable way in regards to giving back to the communities. Well, I think if we don't give back to the communities, we're doing a disservice to our members who are part of those communities and who suffer just as much as, as everybody else. Um, we, we, have our, we use our tractor trailer religiously to haul food back and forth to stricken areas. Um, and several of our locals have big tractor trailers that we use. We purchase food. We just, we just had a big meeting with Local 502, the principal's union, to make sure that when we had the pandemic, all the stuff was coming in that needed to, to get here, disinfectant for the schools, masks, gowns. And we endeavored and partnered up with the private community to get that material to schools to individuals, to homeless, and um, we work with the food bank in Northeast Philadelphia to deliver the goods to stricken areas like Louisiana, um, where, where the storms hit heavy. So, But this is a 24-7 operation. You can't just do it when a storm hits. People need help 24-7. And if, if we're not there to supply the support, the help, and, and the ability to do the transportation part of it, which we have, uh, we get our carriers to do haul stuff to the West Coast for free. Mm-hmm. Um, they're part of the, 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 the whole effort to organize some kind of a contingent that you can service people around the country. And it's very expensive to haul stuff, as you know today. Transportation oh, is extremely expensive. So we play an important part in the distribution process of, of all that stuff, medical equipment. And uh, since the pandemic, we've been more busy than we ever have. Yeah, it's interesting because 
um, you, you don't typically hear that about us uh, in the media. You know, they, 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 you know, you don't you usually hear about all the good things and the things that we do and the, what we're out there. One of the, we've talked about a lot about, you know, the union rat. We talk about scabby the rat on occasion, and it just got it just became um, part of the First Amendment. Uh, so it, it just got passed. Uh, having said that, um, people look at labor and, and, and talk about the image of labor because they don't realize that when that when they see that rat, that's not union guys trying to press down on some uh you know poor guy who's who's who's, who's uh you know paying his member paying his workers a fair wage there are people being taken advantage of in that spot and we're and we're actually trying to help and we and sam pond you talk about collective bargaining is like like it's you know it's probably dinner time uh discussion at your table well why don't we get you know? Why don't we get the message out there? What do we need to do um, to let people know who and what we are, Billy? Well, you know, it's funny, uh, Joe. You mentioned the rat. Rat has become a symbol of of corruption for, for corporate America. They think that rat is out there talking bad about the corporations, and it's 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 sort of uh, mischievous. The rat is a message. If a company is abusing their, their workers, which many of them do, and Amazon's a prime example, um, they need that rat parked out there. People have to understand what that significance is. It signifies that the working people in that facility are not being treated properly, and it's not because of some thought that the union had. It's because of actions that have already determined why that rat is there. So collective bargaining, we, we have agreements, and if companies abuse them, they fire workers, they walk over our workers, then that rat's going to show up. I just dug it out again since the, it was just <laughs> passed. So. Well, 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 interesting enough, at Pond the Hockey, at, at a broadcast that we did, at Pond the Hockey, we had individuals uh, who were working non-union on a construction site on on Broad Street in, in on the weekend. They were calling their family members on their way up on the hoist, saying, "If I don't make it home, this is what's up." And the rat, you know, obviously got you got put at these, but these guys called and we put them on the air. We, we, we had that with Sam and myself and, 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 and Joe Krause. It was one of the most emotional things I'd ever seen, trying to get that message out to people that were, were, were one of the great things about, and Sam, you deal with this on a daily basis, safety. You know, how, you, know you deal with injured workers on a daily basis. The difference between, you know, often a union uh, work site and a non-union work site and the conditions for safety are monumentally different. Yeah, I, I think you're, we're talking about a couple things, but I think one of the problems that the unions run into is that, you know, big corporations and, and the Amazons of the world, they're flushing unimaginable amount of money. Have, you know, Madison Avenue to come back with PR campaigns and push back and, you know, a lot of high-priced uh, uh, lawyers and and, and, and uh, others that can spin messaging. That like, like, like right to work? And and all them terms, you know, yeah. paycheck protection. You've said it a million times. Yeah, and but and then then we deal with safety. And I I teach at Temple Law, and I had our class last night. I had Shane Inspector. When I introduced Shane Inspector, one of the things, and, and Shane had talked to the class about this, is what we talk about happiness in our profession. You know what we need to do, and we. I just had a case that I. I had to keep confidential, but one of the things we were really striving to do, and it was it was a widow, it was a fatal case, was we need to make sure that when we have a case that's significant, that we are able to regulate the marketplace. We're able to regulate safety 
in commerce because the government fails to do that, whether it's the toothless OSHA or, you know, whether or not it's the PUC or whomever it may be. As trial lawyers, we can hold people's feet to the fire because we can get money and we can get punitive money and that's what they respond to. But part of that is you can't do this again to someone. You can't do this again. That's part of it. And our clients appreciate that, but that's the greater good that you need to do. That's what a courtroom allows us to do. So, you know, and then get that message out about corporate wrongdoing. But we have to have more, and it just goes back to being able to vote and being educated about politics. We need to have an opportunity to really get punishment when we have things being done to workers. You know, workers' compensation protects employers more than it protects injured workers at this point in Pennsylvania. We, we're not, we don't have laws enacted. I file penalties. They don't pay. You know, the whole thing's horrible. People just don't have, they're not empowered. They're afraid. You know, I can go on and on, Joe, but yeah, safety is part of it. The more safety, the better. And unions do that all the time. The union movement doesn't get credit for a million different things. Uh, so we have, uh, and we can't agree more with that, Sam. And, and by the way, the PR battle we've talked about many times. Um, you know, literally speaking, those terms didn't invent themselves. Who wouldn't who wouldn't be supporting right to work? Right? You're a, you're a person walking. Out, I, I want the right to work. That's not what it is. You'd be surprised how many people don't know what right to work. That's means. worth. Yeah. It's 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 frightening because our own members we had to educate on right to work was when the laws were being passed and when Wolf rejected the right to work movement. Uh, this is so important to us for our existence. Exactly. It's our very existence. A labor union. If we don't have the, the, the protection of right to work, we're, the, they'll run over us because we're still the minority labor unions. Even though people consider us a threat, that, if that threat was not there, nobody would be paying $15 an hour to anybody. Exactly. And we, take, and we take up the battle for people who aren't in unions on a daily basis. All right, so we're, we're coming uh, to the end of the broadcast. Uh, I think I'm getting a sign. That's a rap cue. Is that a rap? Is that a rap I'm starting to take the hint, Joe. Um, but before we go, Sam, um, uh, some final words, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, end up with Billy. It's, it's a pleasure to have Billy with us, and a uh, great leader, and, and he, he's, uh, he's an inspiration. Billy? Well, it's, it's great to be here. And, you know, I just hope people tune in and listen because our voices need to be heard. We need to make sure this message gets carried. We can't lay back and stay dormant. We, we've got the momentum right now. You've got a president who actually cares about unions. He mentions it every day. Yep. We need to continue this momentum. We can't go back. We can't go back in time. We need the process to move forward. And as, as Sam said, you know, we're all in this together. That's what we don't always put our finger on, but we're all in this together. Without the labor movement, the minimum wage in this country goes away, and, and corporations like Walmart and everybody else that have come full circle and started to pay people more will go digress right back to their old ways. They don't pay it because they want to. They pay it because they have to. And, and, and uh, well said. And, and the word of the day is vote. And I know you've said that, Billy. Uh, you have an election coming up. One final word. One final word is our members need to participate. If they don't participate, nobody is going to believe because our numbers are made public. So everybody knows how many people vote. And if our people do not vote, that message will be carried out. And corporations, and when we go sit down with UPS and do a contract, they're going to know how many people voted in our election. 
That's going to do it for this edition of The Labor Show, along with uh, Jay Doc and, of course, Billy Hamilton, our special guest. Thank you very much. And Sam Pond, uh, our gracious co-host sitting in here. Hour number one of The Labor Show. We roll on across the top of the hour into hour number two, the John Doherty Hour, and then we take you right in to Penn State football. On behalf of Billy Hamilton, on behalf of Sam Pond, and on behalf of Jay Doc, I'm Joe Krause. See you on the other side, everybody. This is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.